A reading from Acts. Peter began to speak to the Gentiles. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. That message, spread throughout Judea, began in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord.
A reading from Corinthians. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings laying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she'd said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The Gospel of the Lord. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Please be seated. Happy and holy Easter to you, being grateful for your worshiping with us the resurrection of our Lord here at St. Thomas. It is, of course, a story that we come back to year after year. And a story sometimes we struggle to live into ourselves. Sometimes, if you're like me anyway, we often relegate this story to something that God will eventually do for us, something that matters after we're long and gone on this earth. But for now, many of us are looking for or maybe have even given up on resurrection moments and of being moments of resurrection for people sorely in need of some new life. We know the end of the story. It is so easy for us to be impatient with these rather silly disciples. How could they possibly have not understood what God was going to do? They only spent three years with him every day. (laughs) Their faith must have been very weak. How interesting in the story. It is Mary who sees the resurrected Jesus and thinks he's the gardener. (laughs) I have a gardener that comes to my house every week. Actually, there's four. They mow the grass and they, they 
edge the lawn and they do the clippings and they do the blowing at about 20 minutes. Mary sees the resurrected Jesus Christ and thinks he's the gardener. And she says to the lawn guy, where have you put Jesus? She had no hope of what God could do. She had no understanding that in her deepest place of grief and loss and brokenness that there could possibly be any new life. And thank you very much she'd settle just to hold on to the corpse of what looked like her only hope. I had really one of my better sermons prepared today. It was quite fantastic. It was going to walk you through how we often do this to God, how even though we pray week after week, thy will be done, what we really mean, of course, is my will be done. After all, if God would listen to me, the world would most certainly be a better place. People would think like I think. And I have some great ideas about how to help the world, don't you? Often when I pray for people in my lives that are agitating me, of course, I say, God, my will be done. Help them just say, I'm sorry, and make reparations, and everything will be great. And I'm right, of course. Everything would be better. That was going to be a great sermon. I'm not going to preach it. Because I, even though we struggle with this year after year, how do we live into resurrection? The choir, unfortunately, has heard this already. I was subjected to my own resurrection moment this morning. It didn't really come in a holy way. I've had some raccoons living in my attic for two weeks. They decided to make a nest and have babies. And this morning, my dog decided for the first time to do something about it. (laughs) She barked at 4.30. And so I was awake and getting ready for the 6.30 service in which I was reviewing this powerful sermon in my head that was going to shock and all you with wonder and a splendence. <laughs> then I started thinking about a resurrection moment that I had not lived into, one that quite honestly... I probably am going to need to spend some more years living into what does it look like to have resurrection today? See, Mary has come to the tomb confident that God can do nothing greater, that all of her hopes are dead. And friends, I can tell you, maybe you're unlike me, I have relationships in my life that I have already started grieving because they are too broken for God to possibly do any reconciling. I'm not just talking about strangers. I'm not just talking about friends. I'm talking about intimate members of my family. And I almost feel strange telling you this story because I don't exactly know what it means yet. It only occurred to me this morning, but I tell you the story anyway. There's a significant member of my family who spent years and years, ever since I was very young, having a strong presence in my life, and in general it wasn't a great one. We didn't say this then, but now I'd say we would call it verbally abusive. 
And so for years of my life, I grew up being disappointed, frankly hurt, by somebody who was supposed to be there for me and supposed to be building me up. And as I aged out, you know, when you can move away and decide you don't have to see this person as often as they might like to see you, I began to secretly wish for some kind of reconciliation that looked like them apologizing. Maybe it would happen on their deathbed. They would realize the weight of what they had done, the brokenness that they had not only lived into, but frankly pushed on to me for most of my life. I imagined, what might that look like? What would my will for reconciliation look like? It wouldn't just be, I'm sorry. There would need to be more than that. And then a number of years ago, I was cheated from my imagination when this person clearly was displaying symptoms of and was finally diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I knew then I would not get the reconciliation I wanted and deserved and imagined. And I have spent seven years grieving at the tomb of all that I hoped could come to pass that would make that relationship right. Two weeks ago, I saw this family member for 12 hours at a wedding for my brother, who's an Orthodox Jew. (laughs) It's one of those resurrection moments, actually. (laughs) Not what I would have anticipated, but full of life. That's for a different day. I spent 12 hours with this person who had hurt me so deeply for 38 years. And of course we had, I can't call it the same conversation, that would imply we listened to each other. We had the same exchange of monologues about every three minutes. The person told me how beautiful I was as a child, how beautiful my spirit was to them, how as an adult I had grown into the hopes they'd always had, words I had never heard in my life, words that I wished I'd had for 38 years. And in that moment of grieving at the tomb, of course, I decided it was the illness speaking, not my family member, it was the illness. So I tried to just get out of the two-minute loop that said these things over and over and over again. And I'll tell you, for two weeks, I've probably been more upset at the tomb of that lost relationship than I have been for 38 years, thinking about this affirmation as a function of mental illness. I don't know how God does these things, sometimes through a dog that barks at a raccoon living in your attic, but this morning, as I was walking the dog who had awakened me, it occurred to me that the man who said these words to me over and over again 
was actually telling me what he had thought for 38 years for the first time in our lives. And for some reason, he was able to say those words to me now. There went my good sermon. And I am confident that that is the resurrection moment that God has somewhere for each of us. It is not what I wanted. It is not what I imagined. And yet at the grave of the relationship with this family member, I found new life this morning. I will probably struggle the rest of my life to live into this new vision from somebody who spent my life hurting me and never meant to. I wonder if you have a broken relationship that you are mourning. I wonder if your hands are wrapped around a Jesus that is dead when the resurrected Jesus says, let me go so that I can go before you, lead you into new life in ways you never could have imagined, ways that quite frankly you never would have wanted to trod if it were up to you, ways that will lead you from a tomb to new life. I wonder if the resurrected Jesus beckons to you. I wonder if we have the courage to let go. I wonder if we have the courage to follow. And of course, I am sure the reason we come to Easter every year is because it's not just what God would do for us, but quite frankly, who God would have us be for one another. I wonder if you have a friend direly in need of resurrection. I wonder if you could be God's new life to them, even if not the way they wanted or imagined or deserved. You could be new life for them. I wonder if we aren't asked year after year to take the presuppositions that we shackle God with when we pray, Thy will be done, but we mean, of course, My will be done. I wonder if we aren't invited by Easter to leave those in the tomb where they belong so that God can be greater than we had ever asked or imagined, so that God can lead us into newness and fullness of life, especially in the places we thought there could never be any. Now, friends, I'm not naive and I'm not callous and I make no promises about where and how new life will show up for you. 
Most assuredly, we will have different resurrection experiences because our lives are different. I just wonder sometimes if we haven't decided that God is the hired help there to do our bidding, when in fact in front of us is an opportunity to follow our own resurrected Lord, give up the tombs of our loss in exchange for some life. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. And as we continue to live into the resurrected life God intends for us, I invite you to join me in renewing our baptismal covenant. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I 